Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Wednesday. It is September the 20th. It is now 830 here in Texas, America, and we are streaming to you live from Liberty Hill, Texas. We have an interesting guest who is going to uh, engage in a spicy conversation today. She told me already we're going to be talking about socialism and her infiltration of the Socialism 2023 conference that happened in Chicago. So looking forward to that. I have had my coffee. I hope you guys have too. We are going to get rocking in just one second. Before we do that, I want to say thanks to our sponsor over at Catholic Vote. You guys know who I'm talking about. Uh, this is today's loop. And what are you doing if you're not signing up for the loop? Go into their webpage, go to catholicvote.org, type in your email address. You're going to get this loop email. It is probably the best one minute that you will read every morning. And it's going to keep you going with what's happening in the world. Today's loop has Trump promising pardons for pro-life activists, congressmen looking to repeal the FACE Act. Those are both actually related stories. There's a story about the senators pressing Chris Ray over the anti-Catholic memo. Again, finally. Has to happen. Uh, Biden giving away $6 billion to the Iranians. Why not? And it keeps going and going. Check out The Loop. It is worth your time. I actually could do an entire show right off The Loop if I had to. I won't say that I've done it, but I won't say that I haven't done it either. So, folks, check out The Loop and CatholicVote.org. We really appreciate them. And we will talk about our other sponsors in just a second. But first, let's just do some introduction. So, she is an industrial psychologist by trade. She is an agitator. She is an activist. She is a teacher. She's an author. And we are going to talk socialism with Carlin. Oh, Carlin, I lost your name over here. Why did I do this? Okay, hold on. Boysenko. Boysenko, perfect. She's married to a Ukrainian, and she has a father-in-law that wants the USSR to return. I kind of, <laughs> we just talked about this before we got started. I kind of want the same thing. You remember, guys, when we had a common enemy and we just knew who the bad guy was? We like, like the Top Gun era. I'm kind of into that. All right, uh, Carlin, thanks for joining me this morning. Hey, thanks for having me to talk socialism early in the morning. Appreciate it. Nothing like waking up and just diving straight into the destruction of Western culture, right? It is the most dystopian thing I've ever experienced in my, my year doing deep dives into the socialists. I will never view the world the same again. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm interested in destruction of the family, their piece there. But let's, let's get started on the way that I like to start things. Tell people who you are, where you came from, uh, where you grew up, that kind of thing. Yeah, so uh, I'm Carlin Borosenko. I grew up in Vermont. I was a Democrat for 20 years, and I kind of started this whole internet thing because I, I accidentally publicly left the Democratic Party after going to a Trump rally um, and just uh, have been uh, doing deep dives into the culture war and politics ever since. I am a psychologist by training, an industrial organizational psychologist. And so I do, I, I'm pretty good at analyzing social systems. I never quite thought I would apply it to analyzing culture and politics, but it actually seems to work out really well. And uh, uh, lately have been doing deep dives into the real far left socialist activists that are taking over our world pretty much every day of my life. <laughs> I dig it. Let me let me kind of push a little bit into this. What yeah. about going to a Trump rally made you leave the Democrat Party? And then I've also read through your Twitter yeah. feed and some of the other stuff, some of your other interviews. You're, you're not exactly a Republican either. So we're probably no. in the same camp. No, well, yesterday I was arguing quite a bit with conservatives because they were not understanding what I was trying to explain to them. But no, I mean, I was a Democrat for 20 years and then I started red pilling around like about four years ago now in about September of uh, 2019. Um, and it started with 
what's behind me, my knitting, of course, um, because social justice came and took over my knitting community and they started destroying businesses and doing social justice things and mobbing people and doing all these online cancellations. And it kind of woke me up to realize that I was aligning politically with a side that I didn't really agree with how they were acting. I'm a First Amendment absolutist. That's always been my primary thing. And so to see people kind of attacking people over the words that they were using and demand that they use different ones just didn't sit well with me. And it started me on this journey of really questioning everything that I thought I believed was true. And that landed me in a Donald Trump rally the day before the the, uh, New Hampshire primary in 2020, where I was just going to see what happened. I was kind of challenging myself to push outside my comfort zone. And I ended up not, you know, having a bad experience. Trump rallies are like rock shows. They're a lot of fun. And I wrote an article about it on my now banned Medium account because I've written about things happening to kids in school on Medium, so they banned me. But before they banned me, I wrote this article about being a Democrat that went to a Trump rally that um, I never thought anyone would actually read, but ended up being the most read thing on all of Medium for like a solid week because it went viral, was tweeted by every conservative influencer and all this stuff. And that was how I kind of got thrown into this crazy world. So they loved you for that. And then you go out there and you say, well, that's not, you know, I'm not saying that I'm 100% behind you guys. <laughs> and then, and then they, then they hate you, right? Isn't that kind of how that works out? Um, you know, I mean, 2020 was a weird year for me because I knew I hated the Democratic Party, but it's also like when you red pill, you, you have to reverse engineer everything that you knew was true. And so I was going through a process very, very in the public eye of like, I don't like the Democratic Party. I never said I was a conservative either, but I was doing a lot of stuff with the walkaway campaign. And I was in favor of Donald Trump in 2020. I voted for Trump in 2020, very much on board with all of that. I think a lot of stuff actually changed um, about the Republican Party and the conservative right after January 6th and after Joe Biden took office. I was very much on board with this big tent thing that was happening in 2020. And so I think that they saw me as an ally in that. But then after Joe Biden took office, I'm sorry, conservatives, a lot of you changed quite a bit. And uh, a lot of it's gone back to the conservatism that I recognize from the moral majority in the 90s when I grew up. And so I'm not happy with a lot of it. I think that conservatives could be mounting a much stronger front against the left and against the Democrats and, and, and making a much bigger effort to get Democrats to leave the party. And so when I saw things like conservatives uh, telling people like me, I'm, I've been told multiple times, like, get out of our movement. And so, okay, you don't want me in your movement. I don't have to be there, but I'm still going to try to expose the far left. And I'm still trying to get people to leave the Democratic Party because I think the Democratic Party is a cult. And so if you don't want to be helpful with that, that's fine. But you're not going to ruin what I'm trying to do either. <laughs> what do you think changed in, from 2020 in the last two years? What's been changed in the Republican Party? Yeah. So in 2020, um, there was a lot of talk about a big tent. Like, let's bring a, a bunch of people with a variety of beliefs into the same thing, because we all believe in individual liberties and freedom and stuff like that. I'm totally on board with that. Right. Um, but after January 6th and after uh, after uh, Donald Trump left office there, I mean, almost immediately, I documented on my Twitter feed back in the day, almost immediately there started being this like, I call them the gay haters, where it was all of a sudden, like, should gay people be allowed in the MAGA movement? Well, I, I come from Vermont. My first political issue was civil unions, right? Like, I'm not in, I'm not against gay people. I'm not against trans people. So yes, they should be. And and it just kept kind of rolling like that. And so I ended up, there, there was also another issue for me in which I was really fighting hard against critical race theory in the schools. That was basically my number one issue. And in New Hampshire, they had introduced a state law uh, to try to ban critical race theory from the schools. And I was actually working 
working with the Republican sponsor in New Hampshire to try to get that law passed. I was spending all this time running all over the state trying to explain what critical race theory was to people because it was still a very new thing back then. People didn't know what it was. And so I was putting all this time in. And then what happened, Kyle? But the Republicans sabotaged the law. The Republicans, they, they like they had the majority of everything and the governorship and Chris Sununu actively sabotaged the anti-critical race theory law in New Hampshire to make it completely toothless in order to kiss the backsides of the teachers unions. And so they ended up passing this law that doesn't actually ban critical race theory, does, is not even enforced to this day. There's a school district in New Hampshire that I reported to the state about a year ago now that actually has on their homepage that they're breaking the state law. The state won't do anything to enforce it. And so when I kind of saw the toothlessness of the Republican Party, especially like after Trump left office, I was like, I want to do real things in the real world. This is not something I want to be a part of. Um, but Republicans don't like being told all the way that ways that their leaders are messing up. And I just won't shut up about that, I guess. That's fair. Um, I'm, as non-Republican, I, I see the outside and it seems to me that there's a, an awful lot of problems. And it sounds like you think they're, they're tacking back towards that moral majority piece that happened in the 90s where there was a lot of uh, preaching, which is interesting. I, I'm, I'm a pro-life Christian, so that's just my world. But at the end of the day, it's like, uh, that's not what we need to be spending our time on in politics. We should kind of just understand that we all have our own flaws and let's, let's deal with the politics part of it. You want to start converting people, go evangelize in a non-political realm. Makes sense to me. All right. So that's kind of the lens that you're looking at things. How did you take your background? How does your background in psychology sort of lend to what you're doing right now? Yeah, so it kind of started, it started as a complete accident, if I'm honest about it, where I started doing these streams where I was talking about the news and I was exploring different things. But um, I started at some point just integrating the psychology into the streams I was doing on my YouTube channel, and I guess my Rumble channel as well, because I, I do stream on both, um, about like, you know, why are people doing what they're doing? Why are the left doing what they're doing? Why are the far right doing what they're doing and trying to analyze it from like more of like a social like psychology lens to to really give people an understanding about not just what's happening, but why it's happening and where it's going to go next. And so I started doing this. Um, I've, I've been uh, watching woke trainings on my channel for for about, you know, three years now, where we started doing long form content around like, what are the woke left teaching in classrooms? What are they teaching in diversity trainings? What are they teaching? in colleges. And so we would do these long form trainings where I would kind of break down the psychology of it. But at the same time, we started consuming a lot of what the woke left is doing that is not public. Well, it's public. It's on the internet, but there aren't that many people watching it. We're talking about streams of like less than like 100 views on them or something like that to get a sense of the language they were using, to get a sense of the tactics they were using. And over the course of like three years, I ended up accidentally reverse engineering how the woke left were integrating into like every single part of our culture. And at some point, it was a little over a year ago now, I accidentally stumbled upon far the, the socialism conference actually it, and it was just a gag on a saturday night i noticed that the socialism conference was streaming their keynotes i thought haha this would be funny you know pop on a stream have a couple of beers make fun of the socialists for an evening um but <laughs> hold on your, your, your idea of a fun friday night doesn't sound like the same as everybody else's oh, but, um... not, not even a friday we do this every single saturday kyle like this is our this is our weekend activity um but you know Roast what like the you, socialists Eight, eight, well, exactly. And so and so I, it just started as a gag. And then it kind of just like became a thing in my community where I started getting basically obsessed with socialism content. Because what I started figuring out was that if you go back to and we're talking like real socialists, these are not democratic socialists of America. Those are not real socialists. We're talking the farthest left socialist activists that you can find on the internet. We started figuring out that if you go back and watch their content from like two, three, four, five years ago, 
that's the talking point of the Democratic Party today. Mm -hmm. And so like people think these are just crazy people like in a coffee shop or in a bookstore and there's only a couple of them and they have weird hair and all this stuff. But these crazy people are quite literally driving the talking points of the Democratic Party and the political agenda in America. And if you look where all the language is coming from in terms of critical race theory in schools, in terms of gender ideology in schools, um, all of this stuff, it's all coming from the same far left people. And so the more we started diving into this, and the more we started seeing, oh my God, these are the people that are pushing these ideas onto all of our culture. Um, that just became more and more alarming to, I think, all of us. And so we've been doing these deep dives into socialism ever since, again, like breaking down the language, breaking down the psychology, but also trying to figure out where this goes next. And, um, and it is actually really terrifying when you dig into it. All right. So how in the world are these people that are on the far left, the fringes, why are they the ones that are controlling three, four five years down the line, the Democratic talking points? How did they infiltrate mm -hmm. and how do they grab control? That is a great question. I wish more people were asking me that question. Okay, so do you know how back in 2020, there was a lot of talk because conservatives were getting banned all over like social media and payment platforms and stuff like that. And they were like, we're going to build our own parallel economy. We're going to build all of our own like industry and like businesses and all this stuff. Sure. Well, Socialists actually have done that. And, and they did it quietly without announcing it on Twitter that they were doing it. And so I'll tell you how they took over culture. They publish more information about their views than any other political group that I've seen anywhere. And I look at all the different political factions, but, but the, they're the ones that are publishing their ideas. They're the ones that are constantly doing trainings. They're constantly doing classes. They, they have all their own publishing houses. Socialists have like dozens and dozens and dozens of socialist specific book publishers that are constantly churning out books that you don't know are coming from socialist book publishers. They're ending up in your libraries, your bookstores. Um, they're ending up in college classrooms, things like that. Socialists have their own bookstores in pretty much every major city in this country. And I'm not just talking in blue cities, they're in red cities too, where they're pushing all these ideas. They've taken over libraries. So anytime you're in a library and you see a big display of books, that's put together by socialists probably. Anytime you see book lists, book clubs coming out of your libraries, they're using those to push their ideas into culture. Um, and obviously they They've taken over higher education. They did that a long time ago. And because they took over higher education, they took over the colleges of education where the teachers are being trained and those teachers are going into your K through 12 schools. And there are at least two, if not three generations of teachers now that have been trained entirely in schools of education that were grounded in critical theory. And so even if these teachers think they're conservative or they don't think they're they're far left socialists, the only way that they've ever been taught how to be a teacher is infused with critical race theory and far left ideas. And so they're teaching these ideas without even sometimes understanding exactly what they're teaching. And a lot of people think this stuff is just about like, you know, social justice, being fair and kind to everyone. That's not what it is. It's, it's actively pushing queer Marxism into our public schools. And that's why now we're all of a sudden seeing an explosion of all of these queer kids in schools where, you know, 30, 40 percent, sometimes 50 percent of some school districts are having these surveys come back saying half of our kids are queer. Well, that's not real. That's manufactured. And it's manufactured because of the far left socialists. It makes some sense. Uh, you, you brought up libraries. I wanted to touch on that. You sent me a couple of your clips. So, folks, we're going to play some of these things in. Uh, set this clip up. This is from uh, Emily Drabinsky, who is the head librarian. She's in charge of what? The Librarians Association of America or something? 
Yeah, Emily Drabinsky is the Marxist lesbian head of the American Library Association, which they have all these state library associations. She travels around to libraries to influence library policy all the time. And she was actually supposed to be a speaker at the Socialism 2023 conference. And because she had so much media backlash for tweeting that she was a Marxist lesbian and had, had at the head of libraries. What would be the backlash on that? What's wrong with being a Marxist lesbian in 2023? <laughs> well, so, the, so they ended up canceling the speech, but Emily still attended the conference. And I I was actually not even sure Emily was going to be there when I went to the conference, um, but I ended up just like running into her in a session about advancing anti-racist education um, in schools, which they're doing to create a socialist world. We'll talk about that in a second. But Emily just happened to be in the session. She was just running around attending sessions with all these far left socialists. And how I got this clip was so how socialism conferences work is you have a panel presentation and then you have about half of the time for the audience to just come up to the microphone and say whatever they want to say. And so Emily came up to the microphone. Do they get, do they get th uh, these? They do. do, they, get these? They, they do. There are some sessions. They're so, they less, they're so less aggressive to just do it. <laughs> A clicky sound. But but there's no there's no rhyme or reason to when they snap versus when they clap. So it's kinda like they never no one really ever knows what to do. But Oh, like socialists. Yeah. They don't actually make sense. They, they make more sense sometimes than you might think. Wait, do we talk That's about abolish the family? I'll tell you that. Yeah, um, we saved but, a good clip for that. So we're gonna. I'm, oh. When I saw that last night, I was like, we're definitely playing about the what are they called? Family abolitionists. Oh yeah, these are these are the crazy people. But but I, like, I like listen, that. like all of this stuff is connected though, and I'll explain how it's connected. Um, but in regards to Emily, yeah, she just came up to the microphone and announced that, um, hi, I'm Emily. I'm a librarian. I was literally sitting right next to the microphone when this happened, and I recognized her voice, and I was like, oh. Like, she's here and uh then she announced that libraries should be a site of socialist organizing why not all right so we're gonna play that clip this is video number one it's actually an audio clip but you'll see a little bit of video so we'll go ahead and run that right now when you're ready right the comrades I just want to say thank you for bringing up libraries and classroom libraries, but also school libraries of all kinds, public libraries and higher education libraries who have been under attack in similar ways. Uh, but I think your point that public education needs to be a site of social organizing, I think libraries really do too. And that hasn't, I haven't seen that for the first of working in libraries, but I think there's a real opportunity here to both connect what's happening in public education, what's happening in libraries, but also. We need some help in the, in the library. We need to be on the agenda of social organizing. So uh, I just want to get up and say that. So thank you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, uh, some beta male also said, thank you for sticking your neck out for being a librarian. I think that's lovely. Uh, what, oh, what that's is, not so, a beta are, male. That was Jesse Hagopian. We're going to hear from Jesse Hagopian in a second. <laughs> Go ahead. That's who that was. <laughs> yeah. Even better. Um, tell, so you're filming. What does what your, your uh, filming setup look like? Because I saw the pictures from Instagram or I saw the video. You're wearing like a black mask, right? And, and you're... Oh, yeah. you're so, so, funny sto so funny story about this. So because I've been streaming far left socialism for over a year now, the socialists don't like this and they know who I am. And sometimes, I mean, you see my Twitter feed, sometimes I can be a little antagonistic. Well, I don't just antagonize conservatives. I also antagonize socialists. And so actually going into the socialism conference, they preemptively banned me from the conference for a code of conduct violation, um, just based on just like knowing my internet, who you were, just knowing who I were. I got this whole email saying you are not allowed at the 
socialism conference, but I had already signed up for the socialism conference under a fake name, like several weeks before that. And so they didn't know the fake name I signed up as I went as a non-binary socialist. And so I had to have this whole disguise because again, like they knew who I was. So these glasses that you're seeing me wear now, I had never worn these glasses publicly before because this was part of my disguise. I dyed my hair. I had, they did actually have a mask mandate at the conference. And so I did have to wear a mask. So that was oh, that's even better though. That helps you. Oh yeah, I was like, this is great. It's like perfect. I was wearing that mask everywhere too. I was like wearing that mask walking down the street. I felt like such a moron, but like whatever. Um, I had my hat. I had my non-binary. And it's like outfit. a black silk mask, so you look kind of ninja-like. It also got- was a fake. It was a fake mask too, because I like to be able to breathe air. It just looks. It looks real, so it it, put, it puts on a good show. Um, but yeah, so I actually had to disguise myself, and I was so afraid that they were going to recognize me that I actually had a friend of mine go and pick up my badge for me um, because I registered under a non-binary name. So so. Um, so and like anyone could have picked it up, but this was, this was literally my recording setup right here, this little thinger. And this is why things are a little bit, and actually that session was the first time I'd ever used this. So that was like why there was a little bit of interference, but you just stick it in your pockets, like a little $35 thing. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know going into the socialism conference, if I was actually going to get anything, I didn't know Emily Drabinsky was going to be there. Um, and, but it ended up working out uh, pretty well. And I'll tell you what, between the time when I recorded that clip and the walk back to my hotel room, I, I had so many talks with God on the way back. I was like, please God, I will never do anything bad again. If you just let this recording come out, just please. And so it worked out okay. (laughs) That's really fun stuff. Yeah, having done uh, surreptitious recordings before and and being able to, you know, try... I've, I've infiltrated places as a as an FBI agent doing it in an undercover surveillance role. It is it is a little nerve wracking, especially when you think they're going to know who you are. And and the number one thing is you got to be cool. You got to act like you belong there. So it's, it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting game if you haven't been doing that for a lot. So you're in hostile territory there, and and, and your antagonistic uh, Twitter posts. I think people have reached out and warned me about that. I got DMs saying that. Oh, hey, I'm you sure know, you did. <laughs> it, it's it's actually really funny to me. Um, and I, and let me just kind of say this: you're what my dad would refer to as a shit disturber. I would say. That's just yeah. somebody who goes in and stirs it sometimes. And I have a whole family of those. So it's not a big deal for me talking to somebody that likes to poke the bear uh, on either side. And I think I do the same. So, all right. So we're, so we're talking about this woman. She's a librarian. She sets this up. She's, uh, she just got thanked for sticking her neck out by another guy who I think I actually have queued up as clip number two. What is the story with this guy, Jesse? What's he all about? Oh, Jesse Hagopian is a problem, man. Jesse Hagopian is a far left radical revolutionary socialist. He's part of something called the Tempest Collective, which is a, a large, I mean, it's a pretty big contingent of socialists. They're Shakespearean, the, right? They're, no, they're, they're the not Tempest? Shakespearean. They want to overthrow our entire society and they're all over the country. Oh, um, and, and Jesse Hagopian, even better, is a high school teacher in Seattle. He teaches for Garfield High School in Seattle. He is a member of Black Lives Matter in schools. He's a member of the Zen Education Project. And and Jesse Hagopian and, um, is actively in this clip, I believe, talking about the idea of fugitive pedagogy. Now, this is, I know that the, that the ALA clip got a lot of play on social media, but this clip from Jesse Hagopian is actually one of the more important clips that came out of the conference. The idea of fugitive pedagogy was a very big theme at this conference. I heard about it in at least three different sessions where they're, what they're doing is teachers in Florida, let's say, where Ron DeSantis has banned the teaching of woke ideology, critical race theory, gender ideology in schools. What they're doing is they're working with people like Jesse Hagopian to zoom him into their classes in Florida and let Jesse Hagopian teach the classes in Florida. And so what, what this gives the teachers in Florida is plausible deniability to say, Oh, I didn't know he was going to teach that band concept. Oh, and so the Florida teachers aren't actually teaching it, but they're working with socialists out, out of state to get them to teach the same concepts in their classes. And this is an actual strategy for them. They call it fugitive pedagogy or smuggler pedagogy. 
We got to do that one more time really slowly uh, because you and I speak very quickly. I, I'm watching people in the chat go like, uh, both of these people talk way too fast. I'm going to have to watch this. And uh, I'm, I'm one of the few podcasts, I think, and I'm sure that the way that you speak is people have to watch it in like 0.75. So you know, everyone else is watching everybody else in one, you know, 1.5. They got to slow us down. Fugitive pedagogy is yeah. smuggling in a teacher from an alternate district who is basically not going to be accountable to whatever the rules are and then doing the, oh, my oops, we did it again kind of routine. Yeah, yeah. that's one That's one version of fugitive pedagogy. Another version of it might just be teaching banned ideas because, I mean, I don't think people realize this. Like, like there's a lot of talk of school boards. Like, mm -hmm. school boards don't actually control curriculum unless you live in Vermont or New Hampshire. So, like, you can elect all the people to school boards that you want. There's nothing they can do to influence the curriculum. And once the teacher closes the classroom door, they can teach whatever they want. So, Jesse Hagopian also works for an organization called Rethinking Schools. This is a social justice organization that explicitly creates social justice materials for teachers to use in the classroom that they don't have to go through the school district to get. They can just get it from this organization and it's really cheap. I got a teacher planner from them for like $8 or something like that. And so, and so like they are actively coming up with ways to smuggle banned ideas into the classroom in defiance of state laws. And they're, I'll tell you what, Kyle, they're waiting for a teacher in Florida to get arrested. Like, they, they, like it is going to pop off in Florida when one teacher gets arrested. Just they're one, looking they're, for some martyrdom. It sounds like they're they're planning on flying people in from out of state when a teacher gets arrested. Yeah. All right. So let's play this clip. Let's see what uh, what Jesse has to say in his own words. And folks, if you're uh, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, that's really hard to hear what the audio is. I know it's a little bit difficult. You can always join our Rumble channel. You can check it on there on Rumble. It's rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. And then you'll see the captions on there and we'll promote. Um, We'll promote the Substack that's got all this stuff on here too, because there's a whole list of it, right? Yeah. People can come check this out. Okay, so let's let's uh, let's stream this little clip here, number two, if you would, Ryan. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody. I'm Jesse Hagopian. I'm a teacher in Seattle, and I work with Black Lives Matter at school and the Zen Education Project and Rethinking Schools. So I've actually got to zoom in and do meetings with classrooms in Florida and with some bold teachers who invited us into the classroom in, in the tradition of fugitive pedagogy, uh, you know, smuggling in contraband curriculum, you know, showing the film uh, The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks and then having us come and discuss systemic racism in a state where it's illegal. Um, and so that, that uh, rebellion is, is inspiring to me. And telling teachers in my state to do this work if they can do it in those conditions, right? So I thank you all for the work you are doing, the fight that you're putting up that's really a fight for all of us uh, because we know what they are incubating in Florida is about exporting it all across the country and we're already seeing that, right? When Florida banned the AP African American Studies curriculum, the response wasn't a rebellion for ethnic studies all across the country, the response from the college board was, okay, cool, we'll cut everything that you wanted out of it. So the word systemic does not exist in AP African American curriculum anymore. That is not an advanced course. If you can't talk about systemic racism, you're just lying about this country, right? They, they are now exporting the don't say gay, don't say trans, laws across the country now that Florida is not the only state now, right? So they are incubating this fascism and, and working on ways 
tax board. Turned and I think right to fascism, didn't he? One of the ways we need to understand what's happening right now to understand how to defeat it is to look at the McCarthy era because the Red Scare and the Lavender Scare are the playbook, I think, that they're, they're drawing from very consciously. Label anything that you don't like communism and then fire the people, right? So thousands of teachers lost their jobs across the country as a result of the Red Scare. Uh, and, and the Lavender Scare, actually more people were fired from the federal government for being labeled quote, homosexual than, than uh, even red, right? Even a communist. And specifically in Florida, the Johns Committee was set up to interrogate teachers to bring them from their classrooms to sit before a committee in the 40s and 50s and have to defend their sexuality. And if you were just a single woman, uh, teacher, you were under suspicion of being lesbian and were often fired, right? And that, they're very consciously reviving that with, with these laws, and I think when we can see that history and teach that history to young people, to our social movements, it helps us understand the tradition they stand in and the one that we stand in, because what ended the McCarthy era and the Red, and the Red Scare and the Lavender Scare was the eruption of the civil rights movement, the black power movement, the gay liberation, right? LGBTQ people fighting for their liberation, and that—that's really what I think it's going to take today. And I'll just end by saying that the new law goes into place that that says that if you have the wrong book in your classroom about about race or sexuality, you can face a felony in Florida, right? That you five years in jail. Including being labeled a, a child sexual offender. Right. All right, let's exactly. let's cut that there, and, and we're going to so, get some commentary on this, Ryan, if that's good. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a perspective, huh? What a what a hot take this gentleman has on what's well, going on. Like that's like a, I said, he's dangerous. He's working with teachers all over the country. He's creating curriculum that teachers are using all over the country. And there's a different clip, and I don't think you guys have it loaded, but people can um people can listen to it on the Substack, in which he is explicitly saying that the that socialists need to that, that socialists need to prioritize education as their highest priority because it gives them access to tens of millions of children and by pushing anti-racist education into schools that is how they're going to create a socialist world and so now, did, he, did he bring up howard zinn in there is he part of the the, the zinn teachers is that what it was yes he you want to tell people zinn who teachers. howard zinn is because you want to say something funny my wife grew up in new york mm-hmm and she re told she told me that the people's history was part of her curriculum in high school. And, you know, we're in our 40s. So that goes back 25 years at this point where she was being taught that. And she thought nothing of it because, you know, oh, yeah. she was 15 years old. And that's just what you did. Um, tell people about Howard Zinn and, and what the Zinn yeah. Teachers Association looks like. Howard Zinn is the author of People's History of the United States. And it was the same with me. I went to Boston University in the in the early 2000s. You walk into the bookstore, there's People's History of the United States, like sitting right there, right? It was taught like it was no big deal. But um, there's, he, uh, he's, I'm not sure exactly how much involvement he has with the Zinn Education Project now, but the Zinn Education Project is a far left radical um, teacher education project. We've actually started watching presentations from them on my YouTube channel. We started last week with just kind of going through some of their back catalog. And um, what you're finding is, again, they are, they're the ones pushing this anti-racist education into schools. And when they mean anti-racist, they don't mean we're going to solve racism and everything's going to be nice and everyone's going to be polite. Anti-racist education, Black Lives Matter education, is pushing a far-left political ideology into schools, onto kids. And it, it, it's, in, it's not even about race explicitly because 
Socialists speak in a coded language, and people really need to understand this. I think one of the most important things anyone can do to fight back against this ideology is they have to learn the coded language that these people use. Anytime they're talking about race, they're not actually talking about race. They're talking about capitalism. Hmm. So it's it's a misnomer. Same with fascism. Um, the, 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 the definition that socialists have of fascism, and I have them on tape saying this several times over, fascism to them means free market capitalism. Whiteness means capitalism. White supremacy means capitalism. We watched a Socialism Saturday about a month and a half ago that was literally about a book that said anti-racism means anti-capitalism. So anytime, <laughs> <laughs> they're not hiding it at all. You just have to look for it. And so if you can, like, if people can wrap their heads around the idea that almost everything socialists do when when it comes to race and and quite frankly, gender is about abolishing the family. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but anything about race has to do with capitalism. So one of the people in the chat just said, uh, these effers are the Borg. <laughs> they yeah. just want to assimilate no. everything. That's that's not a joke, though. That's that's real. This is real life. Yeah, that's so wild um, for for those folks who need a pop culture reference. If you if you're familiar with the movie Goodwill Hunting, the great moment in the Harvard bar where um, where what is it? Uh, Matt Damon walks up and he he messes with the grad student with the long hair who kind of looks like a young Michael Bolton. He actually quotes uh, Howard Zinn and some other some of these other kind of uh, types. So this is this goes back a ways. In fact, interestingly enough, uh, my buddy was probably at Boston University when you were there. My best friend oh, growing funny. up was there uh, early 2000s. So so we've got this group and and everything equals whiteness and uh, and capitalism. These are all things that, that are they're They're all stand ins for capitalism. We're all trying to destroy the idea. Yeah. And then we're trying to destroy the family. We have a clip from Kristen Godfrey. What's Kristen Godfrey's story and what is she all about? Oh, Kristen Godfrey is another far left socialist activist. Kristen Godfrey works at the University of Arizona. She's the LGBTQ affairs director there. Um, prior to that, actually, a, a guy She's named got like Trevor, a really big forehead, right? Like a six head. She does a very yeah. big forehead. Yeah, um, I, I spoke with a guy named Trevor Loudon, who does this great job with uh, KiWiki where he's tracking a lot of these far left radicals. And he actually taught me that Kristen Godfrey was involved in Maoist groups at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. So that's really great. And what you're going to hear in this clip is Kristen basically, first of all, announcing that she's teaching Marxist based queer liberation classes on the campus of the University of Arizona. She also brought a student with her to the conference, which I think that's a little bit weird to be bringing students to a conference. And kind of groomy. Kind of groomy. And what people need to keep in mind, too, the University of Arizona is a, is not just a publicly funded taxpayer university. It's it's, it's a land grant university. Mm. And so and so this is um, you know, she's using public dollars to actively teach Marxism on this this taxpayer funded university campus. All right, let's roll this clip. Uh, this is going to be number three, Ryan. Let's see what we got. Comrade, followed by the comrades of the black mask, followed by the comrades of helping the ticket check. Hi, comrades, great call. Um, Krista, live in Tucson, in Tennessee Collective. Um, I want to share like a personal experience I'm experiencing at the University of Arizona, and then I just have a couple questions around like I guess a similar question to the comrade in Miami, like how to protect teachers, and just thinking through like what protection looks like. But me and my coworker, I don't think they're here. We teach a Marxist-based queer liberation class um, for queer students. I think it's great. Clapping um, one of the students who took it is in the room. Hi, Annie. Um, Annie's always yelling at somebody on campus, so I think they're probably not. But yeah, so we have, we have this beautiful class. I'm also um, the director of the LGBTQ Center at the University of Arizona, so it's attached to the center. Um, and because we're teaching this class, students for justice in Palestine students are, have been using the LGBTQ Center to hold meetings 
just adding their stuff there. Um, Israeli students found out, um, and um, there was a lot of violence in the space going up to Palestinian students saying they don't want them there. Um, and so because of this class that we're teaching, Hillel reached out to my boss and said that I was anti-Semitic. And so the LGBTQ Center is in the house in the in the office of diversity and inclusion. But even with that, we have limited, I have, no one's protecting me in the diversity and inclusion office, right? <laughs> so she picked a fight with the uh, with the Israelis. What is the connection between Palestine, a, a Muslim majority area that I have to imagine is probably not all that friendly to her LGBTQIA plus agenda and um, and whatever it is that she's pushing out there? Um, socialists really hate Israel. Yeah, like, but why? Really, I, they just they. I, I Israel's think they, so tolerant compared to the alternative. Oh, I I agree with you, but they it's they so they crazy. really dislike Israel. They they dislike U.S. support for Israel. I don't actually know. I I haven't dug deep into this yet to understand why, but I I I suspect it's because that Muslims and like Palestinians have a higher level on the woke oppression hierarchy, which they call progressive stack, which is like you know based on your race and your your right. any any number of intersectional characteristics, they have more oppression points, and so I su I suspect as something to do with that isn't that so weird though because it doesn't line up with any logic at all i mean i guess that's the cognitive dissonance of being a socialist when you're doing so on your iphone and all the other sort of things that they benefit from capital in a, in a place that operates and was built based oh. on capitalist dollars. Oh, well, they're they're allowed to engage in capitalism. This is actually a question that comes up a lot on my channel is like, okay. why are they selling books if they if they're if they're socialists? Well, yeah, who benefits the, from the book sale? Well, in the Communist Manifesto, they literally say that you're allowed to engage in, in so many words. You're allowed to engage in capitalism because you live in a capitalist system. You have to survive. You have to make ends meet. But you're not part of the bourgeois. It's OK, um, because like you're not part. You just can't ever ascend to be part of the bourgeois that's really the only guidance that they have how do you know when you're in the bourgeois uh property owner landowner um like business like major major business owner um and like so landlord um stuff like that so so socialists like their, their main agenda is obviously to like get rid of communism or excuse me get rid of capitalism so they can usher in their marxist utopia but really it's about the abolition of all private property that's what socialists care about and i'm actually going to set you up for this abolish the family thing that you want to do because here's here's the deal guys socialists want to get rid of your ability to own your own house your car, your business, an apartment building as like a landlord, something like that. But they also consider children to be private property of their parents. And they consider it their job to liberate children from the adult supremacy that is oppressing them as private property of their parents. Mm -hmm. uh, adult supremacy, which I often refer to as people who know what's going on supremacy, which is really good. And then it makes sense that uh, they want a captive audience of fools that don't know anything. I, we always laugh. I got a six-year-old right now. I've got a six-year-old and I got a four-year-old and I got a two-year-old and I got a, a newborn. And when, when we look at our kids, my six-year-old is very, very bright for a six-year-old. And she has a lot of things to say that are superior to her her colleagues. But she's six years old. Like that is not a fully programmed, uh, you know, operating system in any way, shape, or form. And occasionally, she lets me know that by telling me things that are completely absurd, in a very sophisticated way. She says things that are clearly not true because she has no experience. So even though she may be very bright, she has no wisdom. And that seems like where these socialists seem to come from. They they've got some ability to process. They have some complex words and structures, but they don't know anything. How do they how do they exist in the world and know nothing about the way the world works? 
Um, because they only ever talk to other socialists. They live in these mm. socialist ecosystems. Like I said, they have there are dozens of socialist book publishers that are constantly churning out socialist books. They have socialist book clubs. They have they 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 have socialist bookstores. They have socialist gatherings, socialist parties, socialist subculture. And so they're only ever talking to other socialists. And a lot of them also come out of academia. Listen, the people at the socialism conference, I know who people think socialists and, and far left activists are. They think they're like the pink haired people that are like doing crazy things. And yelling on the street and they do do that but these are academics these are like the next level above that and so they're constantly reading they're constantly talking to each other but they only do it in this in this enclosed ecosystem so we're seeing the foot soldiers with the purple hair and the megaphones but these are the generals that are behind there that are marshalling the troops or maybe they're that maybe they're the field level officers these are the captains and the, and the uh, majors that are making it happen precisely yep okay so who's the general who's out there that's given the marching orders to these wild animals well, that that's the scary thing is there is no general. It is oh, an good. entirely decentralized initiative. And in it which is the Borg. It is no, but it is though. They're creating these collectivist these these collective groups all over the country, um, and they're they're organizing locally, but then also they organize nationally. So, for example, you'll have like the Denver Communists were at the Socialism Conference, and they had really cool T-shirts, which is how you all knew that they were all part of the Denver Communists because they were all advertising it. The Denver Communists are part of this thing called the Firebrand Collective, which is a national collective. Firebrand is extremely far left. They don't actually even allow their members to be part of the Democratic Socialists of America because the real socialists don't think the Democratic Socialists are socialists enough because they're still too close to capitalism. And so they don't even allow them to be a part of it. The Firebrand Collective is organizing with the Seattle Revolutionary Socialists and the Boston Revolutionary Socialists. And, and so it's like they're creating these localized groups, but then they're also like connecting with each other nationally. And if people think this is just happening in blue cities, they're wrong. There was a whole contingent from Oklahoma at the socialism conference. There was a whole contingent from South Dakota. They had an entire session about organizing in the South, going into explicitly red areas to push their ideology. There was a whole session about organizing in Florida and all the different social justice things they're doing there. And so they're not just staying in the cities. They're going out into where other people live too. Fantastic. I like it. Okay, folks, in the comments, first of all, hit the like button if you're watching here. We're live and we do appreciate you doing that. In the comments, I've been thinking about starting a boating accident collective. Many people who own firearms will always say, I had a bunch of guns and they were really cool, but I lost them all in a boating accident. They're in the bottom of a lake or a river or the ocean. And that's kind of like a thing that people say to keep themselves off the government radar. I've been thinking about starting the boating accident collective. This is for people who are poor pilots of their own boat and seem to have lost all their guns. If you guys are interested in joining the boating accident, collective. Put that in the comments below. I want to see what our uh, interest level looks like. I think that'll be fun. Okay. Our clip right now is going to be coming from Sophie Lewis. Sophie Lewis seems like a radical wild person. Oh, so if we're going to decentralize everything, let, we're going to get rid of everything. And this I think is actually coming from you commenting on her. So we'll play this for a little bit. In fact, why don't you just tell us where to stop and then we'll give you commentary. Um, Ryan, if you're queuing up video number four, we're going to hear about the family abolitionist movement, everyone knows families are a real problem. So let's see if we can talk about that. Let's go ahead and roll that clip. Which is what is family abolition and how is it different from how its detractors might present it and even how people who might be hear the word for the first time and uh, and what their responses might be. How What is family abolition and, and how is it a little bit different from just putting those two words together? Yeah. So. Um, I think of uh, abolition of the family uh, as pretty much synonymous with the deprivatization of care in society. Um, the deprivatization of care. Okay, first off, pop quiz. 
What does abolition mean? It's not complicated. But, but like, so she equates the abolition of the family to the deprivatization of care. What <laughs> happens? Who is in charge of caring for people when we deprivatize care? Is she going to tell us? Yep. Abolish yep. me. Ab uh, anytime you hear abolition, to get rid oh, there's of. There's your live chat. Look to at that. get rid of. To get rid of. If, if, if They also might say liberation. Liberation. Anytime you hear liberation, liberate yourself from. Abolish to get rid of. Liberate to free yourself from. Anytime you hear the words abolition or liberation, you need to think socialism because what they mean is abolish the current system, liberate you from the system. And it doesn't matter if they're talking about race or gender or the family or any of these things, it always leads to overthrowing the system. And yes, when she is saying the deprivatization of care, what she means is that she wants mommy government to be in charge of caring for people. And that includes people who are little. That includes people who are sick. That includes people who are elderly. Deprivatization de of care means that she wants everyone else to be responsible for you and your family members. Really so think about that. If you are afraid of things you're hearing in Canada around them incentivizing people to well not remain on this planet all right let's let's get live carlin's reaction on this stuff to too instead of, instead of tape carlin and you know and i'll tell you why deprivatization of care yeah. so here here's the reason why i i want live carlin because you talk about 40 percent faster right now and that's where my energy is. <laughs> <laughs> i thought there was more I, Sophie in that clip too. I, I thought I, there was too. I was in here. I, with that. <laughs> I, I, there was a little bit of a intro that we cut out, which probably yeah. would have been useful as the uh, the hey, I can get interview right back was pushing. Talking, if you want me to, I got it. I can yeah, just move it. Is, 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 okay. I, I, I can explain. Like, okay, so I think we've so, had we have the taste of like, and yeah. also, where is she from? Is she from the oh, U.S.? Oh no, Sophie is from the U.S. Sophie yeah. lives in Sophie. Sophie is my favorite. Abolish the family, Sophie. But she socialist. has like kind of a posh accent. She does she? because she went to Oxford, darling, oh. and so it, and it is a fake accent. It's not actually her it's real accent. Totally <laughs> crap. And and so and so she actually that that talk was at the University of Pennsylvania. Where Sophie is is uh, like a, a visiting scholar at the University of Pennsylvania, so these ideas are getting pushed through the Ivy League schools. Sophie has also lectured at other Ivy League schools like Brown University and and done book tours all over the country. Sophie has written two books called uh, the first one is called Feminism Against Family: Full Surrogacy Now, and it talks about how dangerous it is for people to give birth, and so why would people even want to go through that? We might as yes. well have sur surrogacy. And the second one is called Abolish the Family, so it's like pretty on the on the nose and um and so so i actually covered this quite a bit and so what people need to understand about this is again going back to the idea that social socialists are like scientologists in that they think that children are little people that are just like fully capable of making their own decisions and things like that and that's why they need to be liberated from their parents but but bigger picture socialists believe that they cannot get rid of capitalism until they abolish the private biological nuclear family 
this is real. There were two sessions about this at the socialism conference. Sophie spoke twice at the socialism conference. And so, and so they are actually putting methods in place through architecture, through what they call radical revolutionary architecture to try to put mechanisms in place that dissuade people from staying in the private nuclear family. Like for instance, um, do you remember when Joe Biden wanted to get rid of gas stoves? Mm-hmm. This is a real thing that socialists are pushing because socialists want to abolish all of our private kitchens. They want food to be served in the collective commune where you don't need a private kitchen. You don't need to make your own food. You can just go to the commune and get your get your food where the people who are assigned to cook the food will prepare the food and you're going to have everything you need and it's going to be great and you won't even want your private kitchen anymore because it's too much of a hassle. That's one of the things they're doing to abolish the family. The other big thing that they're doing to try to abolish the family goes back to gender theory, queer theory, um, queer Marxism being pushed into schools. Anytime you see them talking about non-binary. So there's a difference between LGBT and queer. LGBT are all about identities, who you love, who you want to have sex with, um, and how you perceive, like what you want to do with your body, essentially, how you want to present to the world. Queer has nothing to do with that. People who are trans and gay are not automatically queer, and you don't have to be uh, uh, queer. You don't have to be gay or trans to be queer. You can be a straight, cis, whatever person (laughs) to be queer, right? Queer is an identification with a far-left political ideology, and anytime you see the term non-binary, they, them, she, they, he, they, any of these things. That is a specific affiliation with queer Marxism that is designed to abolish the gender binary entirely. And that's it's a virtue signal to each the- other too, right? I mean, they're, they're basically signaling yeah. to each other, oh, you know, my queer identity, that means that we're part of the same team. The crazy team. It, it, well, it is, but I'll, I'll give you one more step further than that. So, mm-hmm. so top surgery. Okay. is considered to be one of the ultimate acts that you can do to show loyalty to the political system. Tell and people I know what this, that is, by the way. So top, top, surgery. top surgery, when 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 girls get their boobs cut off and they had the lines under their, their chest for like the rest of their lives. Yeah, so this is actually, there's a book called Transgender Marxism where in the introduction, they talk about how having trans surgery is basically your ultimate commitment to this far left political ideology because it's it's something that you can't regrow your boobs, right? And so and so that that is actually that is a giant virtue signal to the queer Marxist ideology. Is there a um, is there an element of because you're sterile once you've done these things? There's no way that these people are going to be fertile, or most of them won't be fertile. So if they if they commit to these transgender surgeries, they basically are going to have to recruit if they're going to have children. Oh. That's- Right. Well, is that part well, of it? Well, uh, so a couple things on that. Number one, they want all children born via surrogacy. So this is not actually a problem for them. Oh, but good. remember, these people have taken over the public schools. And so for everyone who's saying they're going to abort all their children, they're going to sterilize themselves. They don't need to have their own children. They're going to take yours and they're going to do it through the public schools. If you're sending your kids to public schools, they 100 percent will encounter this ideology there. They might not encounter it in every single class, but they're going to to encounter it because it's being taught starting in preschool in a lot of school districts. It's so wild. I, I, I think I tweeted out the other day that my kids are going to end up being warlords because these wackos are out there and we're homeschooling just like a bunch of right wing radicals at this point. Um, you know, loving radicals because they're little girls. I got I got three daughters, but <laughs> but they all know how to shoot. And and my oldest is six. If that tells you something like my four year old has gone out and done more live fire than a lot of grown men have. 
because because uh, it's fun and she's hanging out with dad and she's learning what we do. So that's wild. Uh, they also got into sex work as children. You mentioned that they think of uh, children as many adults. They're just in a smaller body. They have all the capabilities. Does that play into the idea of the the sex work uh, that they oh, were talking about? Oh, yeah. This this clip is actually was from a presentation called The Politics of Childhood, which our friend Sophie was actually one of the presenters in this presentation. And so, yeah. So what you're going to hear, this is a question from the audience, which is why it was like an anonymous person because I didn't know their name. Um, but you're going to hear them talking about the rights of child sex workers and how we need to protect those rights. And this is someone that was called Chanel, I think was the name that was yeah. thrown out there. Okay. Yeah. So unknown, unknown individual in the movement, Chanel, uh, that's going to be clip number five, play it whenever you're ready, Ryan. Oh, we usually have to give Ryan a cue up. There it goes. Um, first of all, thank you both. I really appreciate your work. My name is Chanel uh, and I, uh, I'm a sex work activist working at the intersection of migrant uh, justice, capitalism, and sex work. And um, we've been dealing with the child sex panic, you know, the child sex trafficking theories for since the late 90s um, and I had never until this panel been like huh what about young people in the sex industry as part of a children's liberation vision like there's just like a utopia I had never really thought of before um, because the world feels so separated and the issue of you know youth and sex work is so incredibly loaded um, like I was just like I don't even know if I'd ask this question because it's being live streamed. Like it is just so like you are you are rolling into a lot of trouble uh, when you start talking about the rights of young people in the sex industry. Um, but young people in the sex industry deserve and need rights um, at minimum, actually liberation and justice. Uh, and thank you. Um, so you know I just was like I want to hear folks who are thinking about the liberation of children and about movement for the liberation of children and how you understand like just like to what extent you're thinking through you know because when that includes like how they marginalize kids kids on the street like that for sure includes people selling sex right that includes people selling sex to survive and in foster care systems and on the streets and yeah how are you thinking about that are you thinking about that is that are we just like walking through too much trouble to even try to address that when talking about the rights of children? So I'm gonna put that up there. Thank you both. Whoa. So it's super weird because it, like I said, the cognitive distance there has to be so extreme. She literally just said people who are trying to survive the foster system and are probably not involved in uh, doing sex work, which we're gonna just, uh, that's a euphemism for prostitution. They're selling their physical bodies in order to survive. I don't think any of them would choose that life. And they want to advocate on behalf of that choice, quote unquote choice, which is not really a choice. I don't think I think it's I think it's like something they got back to the corner. How do these people wake up in the morning and put their head together, you think? I mean, it, this was one of the most bizarre clips of the entire conference. Now, oh, I will sure. say, like, I understand I, there, there is a part of me that does understand what they're saying. What there's one of the things she's saying is that kids who are doing this should not be arrested and put into prison, which I actually do agree with. Like, like these kids are being put in a desperate situation. There should not be. A, I, I don't think anyone actually disagrees with that. I don't think well, anybody puts them in prison, to be fair. Well, I, yeah. And, and, and so and so that that's part of it. But but like what was most disturbing to me about this is there was no pushback in the entire room on the idea that kids should be doing sex work. It was like, it was seriously like, well, some kids just need to do sex work and that's just the way it is. And I was and we have there, to liberate them so they can oh, do so. 
Oh yeah, and and actually the answer the the answer she got to that question and there's a different clip that people can find on my Substack was given by an associate professor at Johns Hopkins University who said essentially, well, if you want to advocate for the rights of child sex workers, you just need to find some friends and form a little group, and you guys can go out there and advocate for them together, so you no one's hung out to dry and all that stuff. And it was just like, oh my god, no, no, this is a horrible, horrible idea. Why, like, yeah. why is no one pushing back on this? So that was really, really disturbing. To here, I'm, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna grab that because that was from uh, this is the trans professor about the hormones. Yep. What's her name? Gill something or other? Yes, Jules Jules Gill Gill Peterson. Yes. Okay, let me let me send that link over to Ryan so Ryan can pull yeah. that up for us in a minute. Um, the idea that first of all that they're little people and that they have autonomy and they're able to do that that they would choose to be involved in prostitution is bizarre on every level to me. And then look, I, th I think probably everybody in my audience or at least a, a strong uh, quotient of them would say. Yeah, you, you want to go out there and uh, pay for sex with children. I, they, we have a wood chipper we'd like to publicly fund, and we'd like to find a place for you in that. But not the kid. I mean, the kid needs to be rehabilitated. Probably will never never be normal after doing something like that. And and it comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of children. Do they not have children? Is that part of the gig that they just don't oh, have kids? They don't no, know how they, they work? No, this is not. This is another misnomer that people have about them. They do have kids. In fact, the very first session I went to at the socialism conference, I'm going to publish all the materials of this. I haven't done it yet. Was called Kids as Comrades, in which they are actively setting up childcare programs to train children to be the future generation of socialist comrades. They have all sorts of plans for this. They have games that they play with the kids to teach them how to be a part of the collective instead of competing against each other um, and stuff like that. So yeah, no, they have kids. They've got a lot of kids and they're they're training them. Yeah. I always say that this sort of uh, wokeism is kind of, or, you know, I call it progressive leftism, which I think is probably more accurate. It, it's a, uh, it's a religion of converts, but it sounds like they're also converting in their own home. So that's you, you have to you have to remember that a lot of these people are children of people who got radicalized during like the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. They got radicalized during the 60s and the 70s. And so this is like second or third generation socialists that are now like like teaching their kids how to be the next generation of socialists after them. It makes some sense to me, though, because I always see this, too. It's like uh, first generation feminism. I'm on board. Women should have equal rights. If they want to do certain things, they should be able to do certain things. And then you start getting down the line of like, third generation feminism where they're arguing basically for insanity where they're like, no, of course, men should be able to come into women's locker rooms. And you're like, how did you guys get so backwards? How did you lose your mind in the way like that is the lead? That's that's internalized misogyny. My wife calls it. I just think and my oh, wife yeah. has this. I mean, she has a background in mental health as well. She's her master's is in counseling. And she's just like, how do we get so taken in by these people? There's a there's an instinct to make it OK for everything. And then it's like you just literally went backwards on what you were trying to accomplish. It feels yeah. like. You know, people have to have it. I really recommend people have a nuanced take on this because and it is hard, right? Because these people have infiltrated every single system in our country. And, and Kyle, we've allowed it to happen. Like it's mm -hmm. people not speaking up, not pushing back that allowed this to happen in the first place. But you don't want to be punishing like normal gay and trans people for the transgressions of queer Marxists. And it's important that people understand the difference between those things. So while everything that's going crazy with gender and stuff in our culture can be traced back to queer Marxists, most gay and trans people People don't want to interact with that at all. They don't identify with that. And I think that there's a missed opportunity when people are demonizing everyone because a, a few people are doing really bad things. So I just want to put that out there for people. That, to that's think fair. About. I I think there's a nuance for all, probably all of it. We could come back and have a full thing about uh, trans. I'd be curious on your take, which is yeah. going to be obviously very different than mine. But, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't mind having people that disagree with me. That's that's the brilliance of America. We do have this clip of this wild professor. Ryan said he's ready for it. So we'll run uh, clip number six. Um, this one is, is real strange and, uh, I'll let you, you give commentary when you're ready to. 
Just tell me when you now want to. Now, when it comes to part. something like <laughs> hormones, I really don't see why DIY is actually in any way more dangerous than <laughs> going to a doctor because doctors remain very, very, very ignorant about hormones. Like the first doctor I saw to, to start HRT, I'll never forget this. Um, it was not the worst thing she was going to go on to do to me, but she literally pulled out a piece of paper, unfolded, and she was like, I call this my cheat sheet. It tells me what hormones to give you. And I was like, so you're using... And she's like, another doctor gave it to me. So I was like, so you're not even really giving me healthcare. A piece of paper you got from someone else is giving me healthcare. And did she do a bad job? Yes. Right. You know, for, for hormones, right. You want to have like good quality hormones, but like, is, are they, you know, but if you can find out the quality where they come from, like that one lady in Brazil, who's like, you know, supplies like everyone's hormones in the world, like great. Right. Um, so I think risk and danger are relative. That being said, they're not insignificant, right? And just because trans people are doing DIY or abortion is DIY does not mean it's better or inherently, you know, more progressive and it can still be dangerous and unsafe, right? So I think to me, the question is about how DIY sort of community network has accountability built in, right? And what something like consent looks like in that context could be really different, right? And, you know, I think abortion is a really important example. Self-managed abortions have a lot of different technical possibilities today, right? right? A lot more than we used to have. So that's really great news, right? When they say DIY, Uh, she's talking about, or I guess that's a, that's a, male that has done transition over to a female thing. Mm-hmm. It looks like Weird Al Yankovic to me with the mask on. Yeah. So that's that's hard to to, to digest. And, yeah. and and we're talking about do it yourself hormones and abortions. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So what? so that was the per- that was the, that person did speak at the socialism conference in that politics of childhood session. But that the clip we just watched was from a keynote they gave at Lewis and Clark College where they were literally encouraging college students to do do it yourself hormones. And and in regards to do it yourself abortion, I actually went to another socialist conference back in April. People can find this on my Substack as well. This is my first uh, in person uh, jaunt into socialism, and it was a socialist reproductive justice conference at Hampshire College. And basically, they had a whole tour about how to do a do-it-yourself bathroom abortion that included a bathroom abortion doula and and a, and a shrine where you worship yourself after you have your at-home bathroom abortion and so yeah they're they're pushing crazy stuff out there and they're and they're and it, it, it is a, it, it, you know like i'm actually pro-choice like with limits but like going on a self-managed abortion tour probably made me more pro-life than i've ever been in my life i'm like you're literally worshiping yourself on a shrine of abortion you people are a death cult that is a death cult. Look, I was yeah. so I was out in front of the uh, Supreme Court when uh, before the Dobbs decision came out. My my attorney and I rolled out there. He's just a friend of mine that was working as an attorney, um, and and so we're just walking. We were watching, you know. And this lady at one point in time, and there's 15 people that are screaming at the at the pro life folks, the Christians that are out praying and doing whatever they're doing, and and these like these women were unhinged. They were not well mentally. You could just look at them and go, there's something very wrong with you. And one of them decided to go down the the dark rabbit hole and she screams the words, hail Satan at the top of her lungs. And it got deathly quiet across the street. Now, if you've ever been at a Washington DC protest, that's not normal. She screams this thing out. Everyone stops. Everyone kind of goes like, yeah, we're not with her. Nobody wants to be part of the group that screams hail Satan, regardless of whether you think that there is a God or religion or anything else like that. Everyone kind of knows that's where it gets real weird. That's when you've probably lost the edge. And she didn't believe it either. That wasn't something she was trying to, you know, espouse as a, as a thing. She was doing it to own people and she knew she crossed the line. That is that weird death cult where it's just like, what in the, 
what are you doing, lady? Like, that's not even something you believe. You have lost it. And in order to try to win your political position, you're saying crazy stuff. And everybody around you felt it, too. It was like, ah, I don't think we huh. want to be part of that game. Well, well, let me tell you this, though, Kyle, and, and, and I want to use this to illustrate just how far ahead the socialist left is of like normies. Um, the day that the draft decision of Roe v. Wade got released, it was like actually the day after. So the, the, the official Supreme Court decision hasn't even gotten released yet. We're talking about the Dobbs draft. decision, not yeah, Roe yeah, v. Wade. The, yeah, well, what you, you okay whatever um but like the day after that draft decision got released i watched a live presentation at the university of california berkeley on my channel where they were already talking about how are we going to smuggle abortion pills into states where abortions going to be banned they already had plans to do it they knew that this was going to get overturned they knew what was going to happen and they had already been working with all sorts of networks and clinics and stuff around the country to make sure that that in states where abortion was going to be banned, people would still have access to these abortion pills. So I hate to break anyone's heart here, but like, like abortions are still happening in states where they're banned all over the place because of, of these people. Yeah, no, that makes sense. If they're smuggling uh, teaching techniques that are going to be banned in Florida, then they're obviously pushing all their ideology. And I guess they're probably looking for someone to make an example of one of the people doing this so they can have a martyr for the cause. Is that, oh, yeah. is that a virtue? Oh yeah, absolutely. But again, uh, like abortion is also an, a, another attack on the nuclear biological family because they believe that capital, here's the quick version, capitalism created the gender binary by creating oppressive gender roles. The nuclear family upholds the gender binary and also reinforces capitalism. So if we can do uh, abortion bans, this will liberate women from the oppressive gender roles that the gender binary has created. Thus we undermine capitalism and the nuclear family all in one breath. So that's, that's part of the bigger connection. It's so wild. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like everybody is going to have their Wednesday kicked off into high gear based on this conversation. I hope we can come back and do this thing again. I'd like to to, to do more just because uh, you have a high tolerance and probably a very strong stomach for going out there and listening <laughs> to some of this wild stuff. I love that you have comrade uh, Carlin on the side of your of your piece when you're doing your socialism Saturdays and whatnot. This is great stuff. And it's so weird. It's so foreign to most people. But if you don't know what we're up against, how in the world are you going to even be able to uh, to identify it as, as a problem when it comes near you, I guess? Yeah, I, I would be happy to come back anytime. And and I really do think on that note, like I do stream socialism on my channel every single Saturday at 6 p.m. We watch the full form socialism, four, five, six hours. Sometimes we go a little crazy, but we do try to have fun with it. We play bingo, we drink, we make fun of them and all that good stuff. But to be serious for a second, I, I meant it when I said the most important thing that anyone can learn how to do is to speak socialist to learn how to speak their coded language because once you learn how to speak socialist it will start showing up everywhere around you i will teach you how to speak socialist i will break it down for you all you got to do is show up have an open mind work through some pain because it is painful trust me i've watched thousands of hours of socialism i'm going a little crazy all right but like but like show up and do it and i'll teach you it and it will show you a world that you never knew existed I am quite confident of that. Okay, let people know where they can follow you. I know you've got a good following on YouTube. You've got some uh, on Twitter as well, where I spend a lot of time. So tell people all the, the handles and, and then your Substack is actually in the show notes where people can find a lot of that content as well. Awesome. So my YouTube channel is just my name. It's Carlin Borisenko. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Carlin B. And the, my all, all my best content is published on my Substack, which is Carlin, K-A-R-L-Y-N.substack.com. And I've got a scoop coming up later today. I've got a, I've got a socialist professor on tape advocating for uh, revolution, essentially revolution against capitalism. That's going to be posted on the Substack probably within the next hour or so. So, you know, breaking news. <laughs>
I dig it. That's fantastic stuff. And I like that you're a pro. You're just like, here's here's all my content. Here's how you find it. I know where it is. It's in my head. It's organized. It comes out really good. Carlin, thanks for jumping on this morning with us. I think uh, that was illuminating for a lot of people. There's a couple of people that puked in their mouth in our live chat. So that happens. That's the nature of the beast. And uh, and they are definitely going to be revved up for a, a midweek uh, start to their Wednesday. Um, thanks so much for joining on us with that one. Hey, thanks for having me and looking forward to doing it again sometime. Yeah, we definitely will. All right. I want to also say th thanks to uh, Patriot Coolers talking about the opposite. Here's capitalism at work. There it is. PatriotCoolers.com. Use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Get you 10% off. We're showing the soft pack coolers today. I've got the 34 can one. I've never put 34 can. No, no, I know. I have the 24, I think. The 24 fits uh, 17 bottles if you want to put bottles of beer in there. And uh, it also fits several kids lunches, which is fantastic if you have multiple kids like I do. Keeps things cold. It also just keeps things from melting so you don't have melty food. Promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Check those things out on PatriotCoolers.com. They're an OG sponsor here of the Kyle Serafin Show. We really do appreciate them. And we might as well say, since I know he's in the chat, G-O-B Actual, there he is. This is our merch program, so you can go and you can buy something from Garrett O'Boyle, a good friend of ours, at the-suspendables.com. A couple of cool-looking shirts. Uh, supposedly, mine were sipped out on Monday. I expect to see some shirts in the mail either today or tomorrow from Garrett. So you guys might see a suspendable shirt sported on the Kyle Serafin show. Not too soon, uh, not too uh, far in the future, rather. That is the-suspendables.com and get that thing going. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've had a, a little bit of a, a run over the hour, but I love to do that. And Carlin was a fantastic commentator on all these things. It's nice when someone speaks as quickly as I do and digests it. She's obviously got a, a strong mastery of that information. So check out the Substack below in the links and you can uh, check out that Socialism Saturday. If you get a couple of shots in you, maybe you want to go and learn more about how to speak socialism. Sounds sounds terrible and nauseating, but also informative. Uh, you've been listening to the Kyle Serafin Show stream live from Liberty Hill, Texas. This is the opposite of socialism out here. Liberty Hill, a good hill to die on if you have to. In Texas, America, we stream live at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. That's 8.30 here in Texas, America. And folks, if you join us in the live chat at rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin, you will be able to comment on all the things out there. Uh, we really appreciate all of the five-star reviews that we have on Apple. We're almost at 700 just climbing right up to it. And here is one from Captain Crusher put out on Friday. It says, the show, five stars. Found you through Tracy and Frank. We love Tracy Beans and we love Frank. Uh, we love the show. Keep up the good work. And F Peter Struck. <laughs> F Peter Struck indeed. My favorite FBI weasel. Folks, if you want to advocate for it on his Twitter feed, he blocked me, but I did say that I would be happy to punch Peter Struck in a boxing match for charity. We could do a whistleblower versus weasel, Seraphin versus Struck, Extravaganza. I don't know who the undercard is going to be, but it could be something really fun. And if uh, Peter Struck wants to take a couple of hits in the face from me, we can give the money that we raise to a charity. And we would give it either to a whistleblower charity of the Kyle Seraphin choice. And if Peter Struck knocks me out, then he can give it to like cuckolded husbands or something, whatever he's into. I think that could be a lot of fun. Uh, whistleblower versus weasel. Make a trend if you can. We really appreciate all of you joining us. We thank Ryan Matta for his production skills. You can follow him at Ryan Matta Media on Twitter, M-A-T-T-A, -T -T -A, and find him on LFA TV at 2 p.m. There he is. Thanks so much for your good work today, Ryan. Folks, we will see you again tomorrow with another Kyle Serafin Show. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.